Merry almost Christmas, Impactors. How are you doing? In just a few hours, it's going to be one of the most celebrated times of the year, but we're going to kick off early and sing some songs together. We just have a couple of rules. I was going to say that the first one is there's no rules, but I already broke that. So there's just a couple. One of them is have a good time, let it go. It's okay to sing. It's not really that we're doing a concert or a show for you. We really want everybody to participate and be a part of this. Because we believe, because the Bible says we're two or more gathered in his name, that Jesus is present there. And a lot more than two people are gathered in the name of Jesus. So if you want to, if you truly desire to, you can encounter Jesus tonight. We believe that with all of our heart. Let me pray for, pray for us, and then we're going to sing together and kick this thing off. Father, thank you so much for how you moved last night, Lord. 28 people uh, bending the knee to you, Father, and, and brand new brothers and sisters and even children uh, as a part of your family. Lord, we're praying that you move that way again tonight, Lord. And it's a lot of things that we're doing, Father, and we've done our part to get everything ready, Lord. But we know that when you move, that's when the real miracle happens. And that's what Christmas is all about. Bring joy to us, Father. It's the greatest sign that you are present. In Jesus' name, amen. When I say the words, Merry Christmas, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you? In fact, shout it out. For you, what makes Christmas merry? And by the way, when I say shout it out, I actually mean shout it out. Go ahead. Jesus? You know, you guys are a lot better than the Christmas Eve Eve service because I think we went through, let me give you the list last night before we got to Jesus. Here it is. Santa, gifts, lights, trees, candy. And then I helped them. Anything else? Uh, no, they got about covers it. How about a manger? Uh, oh, yeah, Jesus. Threw that in. Well, we've got it a little bit upside down. I'm, I'm happy. This is a good start for this crowd because Jesus came out first. And there's a lot of things It's funny that we look at at Christmas time that bring joy, bring happiness. And, but they're supposed to point to something. They're supposed to point to somebody. And it's not Santa. It's not a put down for Santa. But they're supposed to point to somebody greater even than him. Another question. What's the first word that pops into your mind Gang, when you see this guy, don't say it. This time, just keep it in your head. What's the first thought pops your mind when you see him? I, I'll help you a little bit. You guys aren't allowed. This is my part. I said no. Don't tell. It's probably not handsome, right? It's probably not, not man, good looking. How about his friend? Yeah. And their cousin? I mean, there. All right, I'm going to give you the word that popped in my mind when I was looking at these, and I was purposefully, to, you know, to give these poor little innocent caterpillars a little bit of credit. I will say I was looking for this word to be manifested in this creature. The word is ugly, and some of you are probably thinking, "Well, that's, that's God's creation, Pastor Rob, and you're not supposed to." What kind of a pastor would say that? This kind, first of all, would say that, and one that wants to state the obvious: they're not good-looking creatures; they're ugly. But if you're like me, you know what, you know, I mean, if you're fascinated with these kinds of things, you know what happens to these ugly creatures. What's funny about these ugly creatures is the uglier they are, it seems like the greater the transformation. Before you feel too sorry for them, here's the first dude after transformation. Pretty impressive, huh? That's the first guy. He wasn't by far the ugliest, but that's a pretty, pretty good looking butterfly. I mean, if you guys were awake, you'd think so too, right? And here's his friend. I mean, I don't even know if I've seen a butterfly like that. And then the ugliest of all, their cousin. But look at that. I mean, the uglier they got, the more beautiful the transformation afterwards. Best part, gang, they didn't have to do anything. And I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, but they don't have to do anything to earn this. They couldn't if they tried. They're dumb bugs. They're caterpillars. But the God of all beauty and mercy and grace and forgiveness decided to have them undergo this transformation just because he could. Just because he could. Just to display his glory. Just to display what he can do. And to show the contrast. I'll take the ugliest of things and look what I can do to make them beautiful. And that's because I don't know how you think of God. And, and by the way, I didn't give you my, 
I, I confess, I didn't give you my, my first word that comes to mind. My favorite thing, the thing I really love about Christmas is sometimes we'll do this as a family too. We'll drive around looking at Christmas lights. Any of you guys get into that? You like the lights? It's not as huge, I think. I've moved all over the country. It's not as huge here for some reason, some other places I live. There are some places that get all griswold on you. And I mean, they really do it up. And it's kind of funny, some of them, and beautiful other ones. But I love looking at the lights because that reminds me, colors remind me of our beautiful, wonderful, magnificent omnipotent, powerful, almighty God, our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace, some of the things that are said about him, color. See, I don't serve a monochrome God. I don't serve a a black and white God. And maybe that's why I like the colors because it just shows how much he is above boring and typical. I serve a colorful, bright God of love and joy and forgiveness and mercy. And get this, gang, he didn't come to earth 2,000 Christmases ago so that he could make sure and just come check in on us and make sure that we were following the rules. He didn't come 2,000 years ago and be born, wrap around him human flesh and become one of us so he could go, you know, I gave some Old Testament laws, 10 to be specific. Now they've added a few. That's okay. 613 of them. I just want to make sure everybody's walking a thin line and nobody's getting too creative and nobody's stepping out because you're just robots and I'm the God of... No, he didn't do that. I think he came because the world had gotten kind of drab and the world had gotten black and white and monochrome and uncreative and there's a particular reason why and most of you know and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think it's because he wanted to return back to us the colorful life and the beauty and bring about a transformation to life overflowing with color and joy and love and peace. Now here's the rub on Christmas time. Raise your hand if Christmas time is your favorite time of year. Raise your hand if it's your favorite time of year. Well, that's most of you. And I won't ask for a raising of hands here, but I'm alarmed at how this is increasing every year. For an alarming amount of people, Christmas time is their least favorite time of year. And for the people that it's your favorite, you're probably dialed in somehow. You have to be to what it's really about. For the people where it's their least favorite, it's probably because they try all year long to forget God. They try all year long to chase things that might make them happy and they don't make them happy. And then when Christmas comes, everything about God is kind of in their face. And so they just have to work harder to ignore it. And for that reason, they hate Christmas. But I don't see a lot of joy at Christmas time, and I'll bet that breaks the heart of God. On the cross, Jesus' final words, see if you remember, were what? Say it, go ahead, be bold. I don't believe he mumbled on the cross, so what did he say? It is finished. There you go. You know another translation for that? I mean, as as laser accurate as you can get with a Greek is, it is accomplished. Mission accomplished. In other words, everything he came to do, and he didn't come for that miraculous birth. Though we celebrate Christmas, what we ought to celebrate more than anything else is Easter. Though he's miraculously born, he miraculously died. It was that death that accomplished the mission for which he came. And when he died, it was mission accomplished. And usually when mission is accomplished, when a mission is accomplished, people celebrate, right? I mean, you should. That's how you know something's done. And, and if you celebrate beforehand, you get in trouble. There's the time to celebrate when it's done. What happens if somebody's, have you ever seen a football game when somebody's running in the end zone and they're showboating a little bit or maybe they put the football back? Like, why don't you see if you can grab it? Have you ever seen that go bad? And that's pretty hilarious. I mean, we're all laughing, but I promise you the guy whose career just ended is not laughing. I've seen it in playoff games. I've seen it in the Super Bowl where somebody's showboating just just feet away from the end zone and they drop it or they trip over their own two feet too early to celebrate, right? I've seen games, in fact, if you are, I've seen games that were coming down to the end and you breathe a sigh of relief and you're like, well, that was a close one and you're starting to feel good about it and starting to feel like you're going to celebrate and then in the last seconds, everything changes, right, Alabama fans? I mean, everything, (laughs) everything changes, Towards the end, the Auburn people, it's just a lesson that you should learn about in football. Well, on the cross, his words are mission accomplished. And so I should have just said, all right, you can breathe a sigh of relief now. Now you can celebrate. Now that it's done. Before that, it's tension. Before that, there's sin. And before that, it looks like death is going to rule. And then he conquers it on the cross and he paves the way. But I wonder if a lot of humanity isn't celebrating too soon. And, and it's actually a thing called universalism, where people believe because a sinless God came and lived a sinless life and then gave his life in our place on the cross that we're all covered and that it's done. But it's not done. Because he offers you a gift and he says it's yours. 
and it's paid for, that much is done. But most people never take it. In fact, look at it this way. Look at it as a prison. If you're locked away inside of a prison and somebody gets the code for all the prisons computer-wise and he's able to unlock it and you're free and somebody comes by, a prison guard or whatever, and he says, everybody's sentence has been commuted. You're all free. You can go. But only the people that get up and go, I'm free, but the, the, the door's still shut. But some people get up and they push on it and it opens up and they walk out into a whole new free life. But most of them, for some bizarre reason, just don't buy what sounds like a cruel joke. And so they sit on their cot or maybe they have things brought in at the right time and they decorate their prison. They try to make life inside the prison cell as good as it gets because they're not getting out and they know it and they don't like cruel jokes. And so they never even get up and try the door. Wouldn't that be bizarre? Though mission's accomplished, you are set free, you won't push on the door. You won't receive that gift of freedom. I had lunch with a friend a couple of months ago who told me how grateful he was that he came to church several years ago when I was teaching a message, kind of like this, on transformation. You see, he had grown up pretty rough when he got into his teen years and then in his early 20s. He did what a lot of people did, but he did it with gusto. And I mean, he dated a lot. He used women. Uh, you know, he drank a lot. He, got, he talked about getting in a lot of fights. He talked about being angry all the time. He talked about stepping into fights that weren't even anything to do with him. And as he described this person, and I know I'm pretty good at it, and I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, it's Roy Sis. Roy Sis, some of you know him, Captain Roy Sis, Matthew's police. And he talked about how he was. And the guy that he described, I thought, there's no way that you, this Roy that I know, there's no way that you were ever like that. You're nothing like that now. You're so changed. And so as he went on to talk about how he was, I thought of a commercial that I saw probably six, seven months ago. How many of you have ever seen the Dove commercials? You ever seen the Dove artist sketch commercial? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Okay, about maybe a third of you have seen that deal. It's a, it's a beautiful concept. What happens is these women come in and, and they're, they're kind of down on themselves and they see this curtain and they see this guy whose back's turned to them, kind of like what we're going to have here in a moment, an artist who looks like he hasn't started painting or drawing. He's just sitting there with his back turned and there's a curtain and they're to sit on the other side of the curtain. And when they get there, the artist is going to ask them questions. They can't see each other. And he's going to say, just describe yourself. Now, the one thing that's different than what we're going to do here tonight is the Dove commercial is all physical, but it gets emotional. And ours is all emotional, but it gets spiritual. Just keep that in mind. So he asks them to describe themselves. And inevitably, these women describe themselves, and they kind of shortchange themselves. And they kind of say features on, on them are uglier than what they are. And they don't say anything about beauty because they feel like it's arrogant. And so he draws what he hears. He's a forensic artist. And it doesn't look too good. It's not too complimentary. But then what they didn't realize is they had arrived an hour early and talked with some ladies down in the lobby. And those ladies were called up next. Each woman who had her picture drawn was to meet a certain person. And that person was assigned to them. And they would just listen to them and get to know them. And it just seemed like they were all kind of getting refreshments and meeting in the lobby, so nobody thought anything of it. Well, then they called up the people they talked to, and they asked the same questions to them. What did you think about this lady that you met? But when they described them, the outcome was completely different. So it was a physical drawing, but it got to be very, very emotional. And as I'm hearing this story about Roy and what he used to be, I thought, isn't it spiritually like that? I mean, we don't change physically. When we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we change from the inside out, and the change is even more dramatic. In fact, the change is miraculous. And I thought, what if we did something like that? So I asked him if he would be willing to share that kind of thing or his testimony, how he really was, just briefly with all of us, but especially with an artist that he had never met. He agreed, and here it is. Roy says, people say that you've changed a lot. People that knew you, as they say, way back in the day, and people that know you now say, you're not the same guy. What are they talking about? Well, not to sound like a cheesy movie line or anything like that, but it seems like a lifetime ago, that guy. I don't even recognize who that is anymore. Well, tell me about that guy. Can you give us a little synopsis about that guy? Uh, he was arrogant, self-centered, judgmental. Uh, didn't care who I hurt who I got in the way of, or who, as long as I was getting what I wanted out of life. So that's even people that knew you. Wow, what, what if somebody walked in 20 years ago, Roy, to a party you were at with some friends? They didn't know you from Adam. 
We're not supposed to make snap judgments, but let's say they did. And all they heard was a couple sentences, so it wasn't about that. They just look at you. What would the snap judgment of Roy Sisk have been 20 years ago? What? I don't look much different than I did back then. I've put on a few pounds like anybody else. Uh, i got the same high and tight haircut that I've always had. But my expressions, the way I express myself and my face was, it's a lot different now than it was then. The face is all the same, but how it used to look was the angry eyebrows and I was mad at the world. Just everybody trying to get over on me. Uh, I was gonna get them before they got me kind of mentality. Um, if we looked at my eyes, they were, they're big and brown. And, and back then they would have just been empty. Uh, it would have just seen blankness. Um, everything that this world tells us is gonna fill us up and make us happy. Whether it be sex and money, jobs, houses. Um, I was trying all that and uh, it wasn't working. Uh, the gauge was on E and I was just empty. Um, my nose, you can look at my nose and it's a normal nose, no plastic surgery, no, no reconstruction. It's normal except back then you would have seen flared nostrils and I was ready to go because I was wound tight and, and ready to take offense to anything from anybody. Um, the joke probably would have been that I didn't have any teeth because nobody ever saw them because I never smiled and I didn't have anything to smile for. It was just sadness and, and, and nothing in this world could have, could have made me want to smile at, back then. My chin was, you would have probably seen the bottom of my chin more than anything because I, I wanted to look down on people because I felt I was, a, I was above people and if I'm six foot and if someone six two walked into the room, it was gonna get up there because I was gonna be looking down on whoever I was dealing with. But if I needed to, I could turn a smile on if I needed it to suit my needs, which was generally talking to the ladies, trying to sell myself as genuine or sincere. And, and I, could, I could fake a smile. And you know what they say about sincerity. It's the key to sincerity is learning how to fake it. So, well, Roy, that's a snap judgment, and that's what people would have seen who knew you or didn't know you, but I think the most honest, painful, hard times when we get home and we're all by ourselves and the night is over, you're, there's no parties, and it's just you in the mirror, really. What did Roy Sisk see back then when he looked in the mirror? What kind of a man did Roy see? A very shallow man, a very afraid man. There was a lot of fear in my life and, and loneliness. Lonely eyes, really lonely eyes. And my, my smile would have been the, turn that smile upside down would have been what my life was. It was just a frown. The, the uh, fear of not knowing where I was going and what I was doing and the fakeness I was living in. It was all fake. Everything was fake. I wasn't, I didn't know who I was or where I was going, but I wanted people to think I did. That's where I was at. Amen. I love the Christmas carols, and they just sang, because I got a little bit of a place in that, a little bit of a, a part to choose, three or four of my very favorite ones. And what do you think my favorite one is? And if you were here last night, you cannot say so what do you think? Just guess. Well, what's your favorite one of the ones they sing? Hark the herald angels sing, joy to the world. Jingle bells. Did you miss that one? Hey, we didn't do that one, so you can't say that. Mine is, at least because of what God's put on my heart this year and what I've seen and what we're talking about, joy to the world. Not always, but this year, because we're talking about his mission. We're talking about mission accomplished and we're talking about celebrating. We're talking about celebrating too soon, but there's another side of that too. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time when your celebration is an evidence that something has actually happened. And there's a time when a lack of celebration would be odd. You'd see something so final, so beautiful, so unexpected. And if you saw people just sitting there, you'd go, don't you get it? Don't you know what's been done for you? Don't you know the prison door's been opened? And so why is it that some people sit there and go, no, I, I don't. And I'm not celebrating because I don't believe. Why doesn't it connect with some people? So great salvation that Jesus came to bring. 
You know, throughout history, there have been a lot of failed rescue attempts. I can name a ton of them. Let me give you three that you've probably heard of before. There was the fiasco that was put together by the Carter administration to try and rescue the 52 hostages in Iran. Anybody remember that? Total fail. In fact, people got killed trying to get out of there in time, and none of the hostages got rescued in that one. 1972 Munich Olympics massacre in which all 11 Israeli hostages ended up getting killed and their coaches. Nobody got rescued. Total fiasco there. 1993 Branch Davidian raid in Waco, Texas. And they tried to get the children out and they thought they could force the families and David Christian all to come out. Instead they waited in there. Children and everybody and huddled and the whole thing burned down. Complete fiascos. No celebration. No joy because the rescue didn't happen. What all those rescue attempts have in common is they were fails, and all for the same reason. And please get this. Those attempting the rescue did not actually have the right plan, and quite possibly, they didn't have the goods. Quite possibly, they didn't have the means to pull it off. Quite possibly, they didn't have the people that could have pulled it off. Everything was wrong for it. But 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe, and I said this earlier, think of it this way. He, he didn't become not God for a while. You have to understand, Jesus... He laid aside his divine attributes, is what Philippians tells us. Philippians 2.9 it says he laid them aside. doesn't mean, okay, for a while, for 33 years, I'm not going to be God anymore. It's not that at all. It's just that the glory, the scripture says, if we were to look God in the face, we'd fall over as dead men or women. So we can't actually look at God in all his glory. So that part of it, he laid aside for a time. He's still fully God, but now he wraps around human flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And now he's fully man, too. Fully God. Fully man. And he's born as a baby in a way out of the way, dirty stable, meant for animals. And we sugarcoat it because we don't like it. In fact, we struggle so much because it doesn't meet our expectations. We struggle so much with the way that Jesus came that we try to doctor it up a little bit. Sometimes it's hilarious. It wasn't so pitiful. Some of the manger scenes you see. Have you ever seen a manger scene at a really ritzy hotel, like a Ritz-Carlton or something? Anybody who's got a lot of money dress it up? I'd like to live in some of those scenes. I mean, they're very, very nice. They almost look like a nice hotel. And they try, here he is in the manger, and the mangers that they make are like nice little beds. A manger is what? What's a manger, people? Anybody know? We don't use that word manger anymore. We use feeding trough. That's what it is. It's a place where you dump the oats, and the animals come and feed, and animals aren't so nice and neat. They don't chew with their mouth closed. Have you ever noticed that? Chew their mouth open, it's all drooling back in. The next one comes in, it's, all, it's just a, so you kind of clear that out, try to get some hay in there, and the baby's coming and lay him down in a feeding trough. Dirty, stinky, smelly, we call it a stable, it was probably more like a cave. There's nothing beautiful about it. So our expectations about the coming, not just king, but king of kings, predicted in over 300 different ways in the Old Testament, were so blown away by the way he actually came, by the way the prison door was actually opened. King of the universe came on the most important mission in all of history, a rescue mission. A mission to save mankind who was caught in the grip of sin and death and destined for eternal separation from all he created us to be, from all, everything good. Because the absence of God is the absence of love, it's the absence of light, it's the absence of everything good. And that's what happened when we chose to go our own way, way back with Adam and Eve, instead of going God's way. Jesus' name literally means, gang, Savior. And this is one of the reasons I, I love the name of Impact Church, because we're named after our mission. We're named after our mission. This is what we want to do. We want to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And Jesus is named after his mission. Luke 2.11, which is the most famous Christmas passage in the Bible, says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Which is Christ the Lord. Jesus means Savior. Now, here's an interesting fact for all you Greek lovers, both of you out there, me and whoever else. It comes from the Greek text of Luke 2. When Luke wrote this account, he didn't use any articles to describe who Jesus is. So literally, if we were to translate it just word for word, it would read like this. Savior, Christ, Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. Not our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Just Savior, Christ, Lord. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It's not how we talk. It doesn't really flow that way. But each word is vitally important if you, if you break it down. Savior is actually an Old Testament word that means one who delivers his people. Well, if he's our creator, as John 1 says, then one who delivers potentially all of us 
who are willing to be delivered anyway. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. Lord is a term of deity. It's a synonym for God, Savior, Christ, Lord. So think of it this way, gang. As God, he alone is qualified for this mission. So it's not going to be a failed rescue attempt because he's qualified. As the anointed one, he, has, he alone has been commissioned. His father commissioned him for this. He's anointed, commissioned, set apart, breathed upon for this mission. Nobody else, him. He got the tap on the shoulder to go and do this. And as Savior, he alone has been sent to save. He's our rescuer. But what makes this rescue attempt, among other things, unlike all others, is that its success has already been guaranteed. It's already done. 2,000 years ago, he secured the rescue. It's finished. In other words, that analogy I gave you before, all the prison doors were opened all at once. But what's bizarre again is very few people actually got up to check them. In fact, announcements have been made for 2,000 years. Apostles have come. Churches have come and gone. Millions have been saved and people proclaim the prison doors are open. Death has been conquered. He provided a way to be reconciled with his father. And very few people, relatively speaking, will even get up and check it out. Last week here at Impact Church, we talked about one of the, the craziest misses of all time uh, that sort of proves the heart. When there's been a rescue, when some good news has come, there's celebration. Did you know, if you weren't here last weekend, maybe you didn't know this, that Jerusalem and Bethlehem are only six miles apart. Only six miles apart. We're here in Waxhaw right now. It'd be basically like driving up to Weddington, pretty much, parts of Weddington. And yet all the religious leaders that knew everything, had memorized when the Messiah would come, who told the Magi, when they came to see the Christ child, they said, oh, he's going to be born at this time, right about now, uh, in the city of David, which would be, in fact, Jerusalem's on a hill. You could look out and see Bethlehem. Where? Right over there. You know how many of them went to go see Jesus and to celebrate this? None. No religious leaders celebrated. No Pharisees, no Sadducees, no scribes, no zealots, no Herodians, none of them. No interns, nobody low, none. But the Magi all went, them and their entourage and however many went, to check the prison door and see that it was open. So you really can't mess this rescue up, or at least I can't for you, thank goodness. And certainly the rescuer can't, because I said it's already done. And actually, I take one thing back. There's only one person in the world that can mess up your rescue, you. Crazy sounds, you're the only one that can really mess this up. Sort of be like the 52 hostages. What if they did get through? What if those team of Navy SEALs or whatever got through and were able to hold everybody at bay and just said, we've got about 10 minutes, we've got a clear path to the helicopters, there's nobody even near, but our window is short. We go now and you'll be home with your loved ones by tomorrow. What if they just said, yeah, you know, I'm not buying it. Why don't you let some go free and I'll watch the news if they let me and see if it worked. Then come back. I don't think they'd do it. In fact, the response would be, you now have nine minutes. It's now or ever. Get up. It's already been secured. But it's up to you. You can mess it up. You can sit there and go, no, I don't think so. I don't think I believe. And that's the only way that you can mess this rescue up. Now, listen, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden way back, yes, I'm talking about the original sin story. The Bible tells us death entered the world as a result of that sin. And once perfect man created in the image of God became a mere shadow of what God intended to be. We're still created in his image, but we, it, it's marred. And it's ugly. And it's almost nothing like God intended. We were built to last, but we will now run down and wear out. We were born, back then in paradise, to blossom. But we would now, because of sin and death and bad choices, will wither and will fade. And we were made then to mature and become more like Jesus, but now forever we'll be stunted in our spiritual growth, and that journey will be hard. We are created to climb to new heights in the Lord, but now we will fall to previously unimaginable lows and depths because we chose to go our own way. That's where sin entered. So the rescue mission, gang, it's a misnomer to say that it was launched 2,000 years ago. It actually wasn't. Think of it this way. As soon as we sinned, Jesus was on standby. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the rescue mission began. It was launched then. The plan was made, and, and that was the deal. Right there in the garden. And the mission was to provide a way back home for mankind to be reconciled. Back on the original path. Back to growing in the image of God. And Christmas time is just the beginning of that 
that mission. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's sort of like D-Day when all the boats are coming, all the landing of all the Marines and everybody on the shore there is happening. It would be sort of like celebrating that, but not the actual victory. What if they launched all the boats and got as many Marines as they could on the shore and then everybody just said, well, we got here and we look pretty intimidated. Let's go home. That's, there'd be nothing to celebrate. We'd have lost the war. They still have a battle to win and fight and that's got to happen. It'd be like celebrating the birth of Abraham Lincoln. But Abraham Lincoln's birth didn't end the Civil War. He's got to grow up and he's got to do what he's got to do. Jesus didn't come to show us all a miraculous virgin birth. It's a beautiful thing, but it's just the beginning. He came, in fact, he alone, we all die, but he's the only one that was born to die. And he's the only one that's been born that didn't have to die. As God, he could have just pulled back on this and said, I won't experience that for these people who rejected me. So one who did not have to endure death chose to endure it for us so that he could defeat it and beat it and open the prison door so that we could get up if we believe and push on it and have freedom. So it blows me away every year, and I've been in ministry for 23, 24 years, and every year we come to this point in Christmas and people are a little bit more focused. But amazingly, people look at all the trappings of Christmas time and hardly ever get to Jesus. They'll dance all around that prison cell, but hardly any of them will get up and actually push on the thing. The ultimate thing in life, to know that he came as a rescue mission, to rescue you and to rescue me. Millions have missed it, even though millions around the world also receive it. Why, do you think? Why do think that happened? As I was thinking about this this past week, I'm going, well, it's not logical. I mean, you can't really look at it and go, well, nobody really wants to be rescued after all. We like the idea of death. We like the idea of disease. And if somebody offers us to have glorified bodies to go to heaven, who wants that? No, that's not logical. So it can't be that. So why do most people not take it? I can only think of one thing, gang. I think most people don't take it because it's not what they're expecting. So they just don't believe it. You're not going to get up and test the door if somebody, for instance, let's say a prison guard has played this joke on you over and over again. Hey, you're free to go. Door's open. Check it out. You go and you... You cling, it's not open. You go, what kind of cruel joke is that? And he does it again and again and again. And around the 200th time, even if the door is open, it's sort of like the boy who cried wolf, right? You're not going to get up and try it anymore. And I think because we had expectations, and even the people in the Bible had expectations of how the Messiah would come, even though it's completely spelled out in the Old Testament, that he would be beaten, that he would even be hung on a tree, that he'd be ridiculed and scorned, that he would die. All of that is there, but there's enough of grandeur there too that we see what we want to see and we hear what we want to hear. So they heard all the good things and a king of kings is coming but it's not what they expected and if it doesn't meet your expectations you can miss it altogether. The actress Helen Hayes once told a story about cooking her first Thanksgiving turkey and she explained that she wasn't a very good cook but she really wanted to cook for her family. So after several years of marriage she decided to try preparing a turkey of her own for Thanksgiving. So she sat her husband and her son down before the meal. She didn't want to get her feelings hurt, so she just laid it out like this. This may not come out exactly the way you want it to. So if it doesn't, I don't want you to say a word, okay? Just stand up, put on your coat, and we'll go to the nearest restaurant, and we'll celebrate there, and you don't need to say anything about it, okay? Understood? And I guess they got it. So she went into the kitchen to get the turkey. She's pretty proud of it. She gets it on a tray. Keeps the door open, comes out with the turkey, and there's her husband and son already standing with their coats on. <laughs> didn't even give her a chance. Didn't want to see it, didn't care. They're ready to go. Why? Because what's their expectation? True story, by the way. Their expectation is you can't cook. We all know it. You've tried over and over again. Let's not even go through with this. Well, I wonder how many of us come here tonight. I mean, there's a lot of Christmas Eve services going on. I wonder how many of us are, are CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. I mean, we kind of do our, our checklist, and this is it. So you're here, and you came. It's okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You came with low expectations. You know, I do this every year. I sing, I figure, a few Christmas carols, and someone says a few words about a baby in a manger. First time I heard it was a feeding trough pastor. Thanks for that. That ruined it. And then you hear about a few shepherds and maybe some chronologically misplaced magi, and then you go home. See you again next year, right? That's what you expect, but you certainly don't come to a Christmas Eve service, most people anyway, expecting an actual encounter with the Holy Spirit, an actual encounter with God. And that's a problem. If your expectations are way over here and something happens right in front of you, you might miss it. So I'm trying to warn you that it's about to happen in front of you 
It's a Christmas miracle. Jesus said to his disciples, I mean, Jesus had fed 5,000 from nothing but a little boy's lunch. He had walked on the water. He had raised the dead. He had given sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And he said, when I go, greater things than these will you do in my name. Well, I can't walk on water. Anybody walk on water here? And what's greater than walking on water? Moon walking on water? What is greater than that? What did he mean? Well, I don't think he was referring to tricks or miracles. I think he was referring, I know he was referring to the greatest miracle of all, to God to take somebody who is dead inside spiritually and to have them reborn back into his image is the greatest miracle. And we would take what was happening just in Jerusalem, then we'd go out into the uttermost part of the earth and give the gospel. And more and more people, millions would be reached. That's the greater thing. That's coming your way. But get this, in order to believe it, to see it, you're going to have to adjust your expectations a little bit. Just like a lot of people had to back then. I like a lot of fantasy movies and I like a lot of stories and I read a lot growing up and I still read them because in a lot of ways I'm still like a child. I want to have a big heart and big belief. I don't want to get older and cynical and half of that is not happening and part of it is happening. And So I want you guys to believe the same thing. How many of you have ever seen the Oscar award winning Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? You guys see that? Wow, I've asked you a lot of questions but that's the only one that you've all done. Everyone. Well, I love it. I mean, it starts out kind of scary. You know that around the world, there's only going to be like, I don't know how many, like eight golden tickets. Remember that? And everybody's clamoring for it, but we're all rooting for Charlie, right? We want Charlie to find a golden ticket because his life is so bad, and we want it to change, and he does everything short of selling his kidneys, and he can't get a golden ticket. And finally, he gets one, and he has a shot at a whole new life. Well, I thought, the only thing different than that, you know, for us and a golden ticket is that it's not just for eight people. It's not like everybody goes to God and then he picks his favorites and he gives them a golden ticket and they get in. I mean, it'd be more like reaching around and finding out that there's always been one waiting for you. God has always had one. He's always had a time prepared for you and a place and a moment where you'd encounter him if you just believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Everybody, why don't you reach down under your seat and pull that envelope out? Let's do this together. I do it together, but apparently I didn't get one. So I'm going to get one. And open that up. It's funny. This happened last night, too. I could hear a couple of kids go, ah, look. I love the way kids react. And, you know, it's a little dark out there, but I can see a couple of you. And I won't point you out, adults. I saw you roll your eyes. So much different than the kids. So I'm going to speak to both of you. But first, let's go over this ticket a little bit. This is a Christmas golden ticket for you. It had to be used today, Christmas Eve, 5 p.m. sharp. Some of you were late. We'll overlook that. Place Cuthbertson. And this is what this ticket, I promise you, 100% entitles you to. This ticket ensures an offer from Jesus to be a part of his royal family for the ticket holder ensures that you will be offered that opportunity tonight. In fact, in the next 20 minutes, you're going to get that, I promise. It'll be up to you whether you push on the door or not. You can actually sit there. I don't know why you wouldn't ignore it, but I promise you, you will at least be offered this opportunity. By the way, kids, thanks for ooing and aahing. I like that. And let me say this. Matthew 13, 58 tells us that if we want to come and enter the kingdom of God, we must come as a little child. So you get it. You get it. Adults, James says, you come and you believe and don't waver and doubt all the time because those who waver and doubt are like a wave tossed by the wind to and fro and God's not going to honor that. So there's your warning there. He's not saying banish all doubt, getting the lotus position, but there comes a time when God tells you to move, you got to put one foot in front of the other and just move, step out. And adults, I believe God's going to call a few of you tonight and you're going to have to step out. Pastor Rob, what qualifies you to know that? Pastor Rob, what qualifies you to go giving away tickets like that frivolously? You some kind of magic man? I am. Actually, Christmas magic that I think the Lord has given me. I'm going to prove it, actually, right now with a prediction. How many of you have grade school kids? Raise your hand. Any of you have grade school kids still? I'll pray for you. Just a few more years. Grow up. And then they hit the teens, and that's so much easier. <laughs> 
Well, let me make a prediction. You'll see that I am Omar the Magnificent. I just go by a different name. Here it is. You will have no problem getting your kids out of bed whatsoever, not even a single smidge tomorrow morning. I predict that even if you put them to bed with a glass of warm milk and a gallon of NyQuil and pray to God, God, please, my one day to sleep in, let them sleep. Put them in just a mild coma so that I can have a little bit of, it won't work. God doesn't answer that prayer. I've prayed it. He doesn't. I've got teenagers in my house. They still get up. The sun isn't up, but they are. They're at the bottom of the steps waiting, waiting for Santa to come at 16 and 14, still waiting. So that's my prediction. Here's another one. There will come a day right after New Year's when those same kids have to go to school. And I promise you, you can have Reveille played on the bugle by a member of the United States Army Band right in their ear, and they're not getting up. They won't get up. Same kid. It's not invasion of the body snatcher. Same kid. All right, I just wanted you to know my credentials as a predictor, as a prophet. So there it is. When it happens, you can say, Pastor Rob said this would happen. So expectations. Let's line them up real quick and see what the Lord does. What happens when you've been following a star, but one day you wake up and you find yourself in a stable? Because that's what we're talking about, right? All these predictions in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah and the King of Kings, and he's born in a stable. And he's placed in a feeding trough. And what happens when you travel for months like the Magi and you're looking for him? And you find him there. You brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and an entourage to protect you and everything. You weren't expecting that. It's pretty much a crisis of faith right there. What happens when you're a dirty, smelly shepherd out there and, and all of a sudden you are presented with a heavenly host? I like to think they were singing the first version of Hark the Herald Angels sing about themselves. And then they say, you will find the baby. Go wrapped in swaddling clothes, and they tell you, but you go and you're looking around, and you see the star, and you look down, and it's a cave, and you better make some adjustments, right? Pretty quick, pretty quick, you better make some adjustments, because you're going, wait a minute, did we make a wrong turn somewhere? Because this, this really can't be the king of kings, right? So you follow a star, and you find a stable. What happens when all of a sudden, after thinking that something grand and glorious would be on the other end, you end up in the backyard of a barn. You got to be ready for that. And you notice how kids can be faced with that? Kids, this is going to be great. And, all, and they can adjust at the smallest things and they can keep their faith alive. And adults go, I knew it. I knew it would be a ripoff. I knew there was, I could see the strings. I know it's a, all this stuff. And kids are going, I can't see them. It's right there. The strings right No, there's no strings. Where's your heart? Where's your expectations? The shepherds believed, just like little children, they already heard the heavenly host. They knew it was true, so it didn't matter to them how it went down. Because, see, if your expectations are over here and reality is here, you might miss the Christ child. You might not get the rescue. You might not get to celebrate the rescue because you won't even know what happened. You know, after encountering the Christ child, even though shepherds are marginalized and one notch above lepers and very low in that society, if you describe to shepherd, people go, oh, I know who you are. Oh, I can picture him. He's dirty. He's, he's smelly. He's out there with the animals. He's got old clothes. He carries a staff. He's, you can't trust them. They're criminals. That's what they thought. If you describe those shepherds after their encounter with the Christ child, you wouldn't think you were talking about the same people because there's a transformation that took place. It's a transformation that still takes place millions of times a year all over the world. It's the same one that happened to Roy that I heard about in the restaurant. It's the same one that can happen to you tonight. Roy, people now say that you're different. You're a brand new person. Is that pretty safe to assume? Yes, sir, absolutely it is. What happened? What caused that change? Well, I found myself in a spot where my entire world was crashing down and everything that I had worked for and thought I had built up was going away from me. My wife and I ended up uh, at church, and the pastor had told us that everything that was keeping us from being a Christ follower, we needed to shuck off and, and do away with it, get rid of it, lay it at the cross, that we could be transformed and have new life. And that day, that's exactly what it, we did. We were given a piece of paper where we wrote down all the things that was holding us back, and we took it to the cross. and with a nail, we nailed it to the cross physically. And I went back to my seat after doing something I would have never done in previous times. 
and immediately I felt a huge weight lift up off of me. And from that very moment, my life was changed without me having to do anything except let go. And I walked out of that building that day, out of a dark building to the outside, and I saw a whole new world ready for me to, to live in. Somebody walked into a room with you now and some friends, or you and your family, they heard you say a few sentences. They didn't know you, but they were to make a snap judgment. What do you think would be the snap judgment of the voices today? <laughs> well, they'd see the same big round head and the same stylish flat top haircut and uh, the eyebrows. I carry my eyes a lot, a lot higher. My eyebrows, I'm not angry. I don't have to be mad all the time. And, and there's joy in my eyes because I see things so much differently and, and I can find joy in anything now just about. And my nostrils aren't flared anymore because I'm not angry all the time. And they would actually get to see my teeth because there's nothing I like more than laughing and smiling. And a lot of times I'm not even trying. It's just, it's there. It's just things make me happy now. Um, my chin, to describe my chin now, I would, I would use a word that our society doesn't understand very much and it's, it's meekness, it's meek, and, and it's not to be confused with weakness, it just means that I am happy and content with who I am and who I am as a Christian. Listen, I, I know there's some people out there that's just like me. I pray for you that you can take the short road and not the long road like I did. And I hope it doesn't take you the 20 years that it took me to get to where I'm at. I'll tell you what our pastor told us, it's called the Great Exchange. You give him all your garbage and he gives you new life. It's the greatest gift you could give him on his birthday. He can give you the life that you've been looking for. Nail it all to the cross. Repent, forgive, and accept the gift that he came here to give us. So in a few moments, we're going to check in with our artist who's been drawing just an idea of what this guy, this ugly guy before looked like and what the beauty is when the transformation of Christ coming to live within you takes place. But before that, I want to talk about one last person who was given a grand presentation of the coming Messiah and given a huge role to play, perhaps bigger than anybody other than God himself, and found herself chasing a star only to find a stable. I don't know who could have possibly had expectation exchange worse than Mary. Can you imagine? Most scholars believe that Mary was probably between 15 and 16 years old when this happened, when Gabriel the angel came to her. Because this was the usual age of a spouse on that day. And so that's not unusual. But what a wonderful young woman, not really even thought of as a teenager, but a wonderful young godly woman she must have been because she was selected not just out of all the women alive then, but out of all the women in all of history ever to bear the Son of God. Pretty huge. Mary, Jesus' mother, celebrated a star. Look at the first words of this miraculous event that were shared with her. Verses 30 through 33. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive... And give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and will reign over Israel forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. That's a star. The Greek translator, favored one there, or highly favored in your Bible, is cheritu, and it means highly blessed or much graced. Much graced. It's only used one other time in the whole Bible. And this is what I love. It's used once about Mary. You are not just favored, not grace, but highly favored. And then it's used one more time in Ephesians 1, 6, same exact word. And guess what's used about? You. It's used about me. It's used about everybody born after he died on the cross and rose again. All of us who receive Jesus as Savior are highly favored, not because of who we are, not because we're highly evolved, not because we're smarter than they were, not because we're nicer than they were, more deserving. In many cases, it's the opposite. But it's, be, it's not because we're stars, but because of where we are. Not who we are, but where we are. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, we are in Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he lives in heart, then we are considered in Christ. 
So we are highly favored because our position is now as brothers and sisters of the living God. So at this point, I just want you to see it for what it was. Mary sees a star, perhaps the brightest opportunity and star that any woman has ever seen. She'll bear a son. It'll be the greatest king of all time. In fact, he is called the king of kings. So she must have thought, her head's swimming, and she's going, then I will be a queen, and I will not just be a queen, but I would be the queen of queens, and I can leave this dirty, rotten, forgotten town of Nazareth, and where will I live? Will it be greater than the palaces in Rome? Will I be higher and more respected than Caesar? For a while, probably her head's spinning, because this is the greatest of honors. You will be the mother of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. I'm just thinking for a moment, what was she thinking? Am I about to be propelled into the greatest honor any woman's ever known? Whatever she was thinking, it didn't last long. And we know that because of a question she very quickly got to, a logical one, but I don't think she's asking it out of trying to figure it out. I think a very cold realization came to her. She said, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. And so here's what she's asking. This is going to be miraculous then, isn't it? Yes. And the angel tells her that. So she's just beginning to realize, I'm chasing after a star here, but it's not going to be my star, is it? I may be highly favored of God, but if this goes the way you're saying, I'm not going to be highly favored by my neighbors anymore. I'm not going to be highly favored by my parents anymore. I'm not going to be highly favored by my family and my friends. They're most likely going to shun me. Because they won't believe this. So this favor from you, God, it's different than what the world looks at, isn't it? Yes, and get this, people. Watch this. It is different. And it's a whole lot better. It's a whole lot better. To have God's ultimate favor is better than having popularity. It's better than having 10 million Twitter followers. It's better than having the most popular Facebook page. It's better than being a best-selling author. It's, be there's so much, it's better than being a millionaire. It's better than any of those things. Having people talk about you, buzz about you. The most followed person on Twitter right now is Justin Bieber. He also seems like a slightly troubled individual. Second most followed person is Miley Cyrus. She's got her act together, huh? Probably about the polar opposite of what we're talking about here with Mary, Right? clamoring, clamoring. How do I keep this on top? How do I keep this favor I'm receiving among people up here? But it's not real, is it? I mean, people aren't just saying nice things. In fact, they're saying bad things. It's almost a, a twisted, dark kind of favor. Mary's going to be favored of the Lord, which is worth so much more. She didn't get a huge platform. She didn't get a national speaking deal. She didn't get a book deal or a guaranteed reality show about teens having babies, babies having babies. What she got was far better. She became highly favored of God. In our culture, they, they elevate all the wrong things, gang. But God seeks out the humble that he might show them favor, and it's better than any favor that we can manufacture. Believe it or not, gang, watch this. We're never as joyful or satisfied or at peace than when we are giving all the glory to God. Not when we get more compliments. Not when more people are, 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 have our name on their lips. Not then. Not when we sell more books, but when more people are reading the Bible. Mary found favor because she wanted nothing more than to bring glory to God, even if it meant ridicule, and it did mean ridicule and scorn for her whole lifetime. She's highly favored among a lot of people now, but she's gone and she's in heaven now. Her favor among men didn't come till later. Let that sink in this Christmas time. But she found God. She encountered God over and over again. We only find Christ after we come to the end of ourselves. We only breathe in the breath of heaven, gang, after we've exhaled the stench of pride and self-reliance and the last breath of us. You only come to God when you've come to the end of yourself, not the other way around. And we'll not draw our first breath as a son or daughter of the King of Kings until we have breathed out the last of our rebellion and let go of all other idols and gods in our life. I have traveled many moonless nights, cold and weary, with a baby inside, and I wonder. 
from a lowly, common, in fact, so small and such a hick town of Nazareth that people actually said about Nazareth, can anything good at all come from Nazareth? That's how lowly people thought of it, and yet God picks a teenage girl from there and transforms her and shows her not just favor, but the highest favor. And when you come to know him and when you push open that prison door of, of bondage and, and captivity and, and you see the freedom, it's not just that you're free to do whatever you want. You've been changed. You've been transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, those who come to him, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And friends, the difference is something that will be apparent to all. There's a couple things that will be there. If you were grumpy and, and, and like Roy was before and thinking everybody has it out for you and angry and wanting to start fights and wanting to use people and abuse people, that'll change. And if you're somebody who never smiles, that'll change. A joy enters your heart. It's perhaps the greatest sign because it's a transformation that's unlike the world. It's not a plastic surgery thing. It's a transformation from the inside out. So let's look at what our artist has now, shall we? As he's looking at the before and after. So those of you that know Roy probably can't picture him at all as the one on the right there. That angry guy. But if you were to sit down and talk with him now, first of all, you'd know he has teeth. He is always smiling. He's a different guy. It's one of those things when he's telling me his story, I'm going, you're lying. You're making this up. I cannot believe you were like that. He said, I was. And honestly, Pastor Rob, I didn't know how to break out of it. I tried. I tried the world's things. I tried a lot of things the world offered for happiness. They were all dead ends. So I just tried them more. And I got even more angry. And I got even more impossible to live with. Until that day came and I nailed my sins to the cross and what you said to do and let go and invited Jesus in my heart, nothing worked. Then he just transformed me and it seemed to happen in a moment. That's a Christmas transformation. And it can happen even now. It happened for 28 people last night. And I think it's going to happen now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to think about this concept we've talked about all night in, in several different ways. I want you to think about how many good things in your life have maybe been right in front of you. I want, to, I want you to think about how many things you've been talked to, have been presented to you that you missed because you were expecting something else. Heard this story a while back and I found it. I got to dig it back out. It's an old story of a mom that was trying to tell her son something and trying to get him to see beauty and something, and he just, he just wouldn't buy it. He just couldn't see it. And he missed one of the most joyful things. And this Christmas, I think it's the same message that we miss. And it was ironically, before he could, and it was too late for him to really do anything about it, but ironically, it was in front of him all the time. It was always there. How do you know when you've been transformed? How do you know? You rejoice. How do you know if it's mission accomplished, that Jesus Christ is in your heart? Honestly, gang, you feel it. You know it. There's joy. And all of heaven will re rejoice with us. In fact, the Bible says when one sinner comes home, all the angels rejoice. That's why God launched a rescue mission. That's why Jesus came. He came to rescue you and to bring great joy. Now open your eyes and look at this. My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then, one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? 
And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. she was talking about. So beautiful and so simple, but so easy to miss, isn't it? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I've closed Christmas services like this for, as I said earlier, more than 20 years, and that never gets old. I know there's probably some here tonight who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've heard the Christmas message. Maybe it's just never connected. In some way, you've heard that the prison door is open, but you've never gotten up and pushed on it and checked it. You've never received that gift. I promised you that an offer from Jesus would be made to be a part of his royal family. So here it is. If you will confess that he is Lord with your mouth and believe it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. There's not some recipe for that. Honestly, it's as simple as as praying and and admitting to God that you've sinned, asking Him to forgive you, and then inviting Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And if you really mean it because you're talking to God and not anybody else, then at that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, He saves you, and the transformation begins. If you've never done that, but you want to do that now, I would be honored to lead you in a prayer. Not Not a magical prayer or anything, and the words don't matter. Again, what matters is that you're talking to God at this moment. So this isn't between you and who brought you or you and the person you're sitting with. This is between you and Jesus. And if you're ready to come home for Christmas and be a part of his family, be adopted into the family of God. Pray with me, silently in your heart. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Would you please forgive me for my sins, Lord? And Jesus, thank you for giving your perfect life in my place as a payment for my sins. Thank you for purchasing my salvation on the cross. I receive that gift, Lord. And I invite you to come into my heart and into my life as Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Help me to live from this day forward all out for you. For it's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. So keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. One last thing. If you meant that, then you're saved. If you meant that and you talked to God and you asked him to forgive you and come into your heart, he did. He promises to. Now all that remains, and this doesn't save you, but it's a very important part of it. If anybody really means that, now it's time to celebrate. Now's the time to identify. Jesus did once say that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And he's not saying that to be cruel. He's saying if you see me pay my life for you in your place, if you see me give this for you and you just want to tuck it away and not talk about it, then maybe something didn't happen. Maybe it's not real. But if it's real and you know the joy and you know that you've been set free and you know the price that's been paid, you'll admit it. You'll identify. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that. When I count to three, just lift your hand up and let us know that you prayed to receive Christ. That's your way of identifying. You ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand and hold it up high and let us see you. 
Now keep it up high, gang, because I have a gift. I want to give you a book, and they're coming by to give that to you. If you put your hand down, I won't see you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, not reciting some words, but you meant it, then hold your hand up high proudly, and we'll bring that gift by you. All right, you guys can open your eyes and celebrate new brothers and sisters in Christ that have joined the family. Now, I have a little bit of bad news. It's sad news, kind of, but not, depending on your perspective. We're not going to be able to light the lanterns, I've just been told, because it's too cold out there right now, and they tested a few, and it came back and burned them. So we don't want to do that, because that would be considered bad, a bad way to end it. We do have the candles. I've been doing this for about 20 years, too. And so we're going to light the candles in here, and we're going to sing Silent Night together, uh, and then we're going to be dismissed. And Merry Christmas and thanks for worshiping with us.